Hey there, what's going on? Thanks for checking out the podcast. My name is Jason. You can call me JBay. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. And this is a podcast for reps and sales leaders who love it when they land big meetings with prospects, but hate it when they go to make a cold call and they're not quite sure what to say or they're afraid that they might get an objection. They're not quite sure how to handle. So if that's ever happened to you or someone on your team, you're definitely in the right place. Let's get to the episode today. So emails are one of those you know, kind of weird things that I don't know if anyone ever goes through any formal training on how to write emails. And I'm not just talking about cold emails, just all emails in general. So basic email etiquette. I was never taught at least. So I just kind of figured out by observing other people. And some of those other people that I observed had very bad habits. So just simple things like when should you use BCC versus CC versus two? how should you properly introduce two people together that don't know each other? So if you have a prospect you're trying to get an intro from or clients you're trying to introduce to other people, whatever it might be, what's the proper way to actually do that and get what's called a double opt-in, which we'll talk about today with our guest. But my point is that email communication is more than just sending cold emails. So we're going to talk about that today, but how can you send an effective email and get what you want from the person you're sending it to. So maybe it's you want them to respond and give you a resource because you're communicating with your marketing department as a sales leader or a sales rep. Maybe it's communicating with someone to help you get in touch with a prospect. Maybe it's communicating with your clients if you manage and do full cycle sales as well. So we're gonna talk on all that stuff today. I'm really excited for our guest, Will Allred. He runs a company called Lavender. And it's a really cool email extension that you can use that helps you personalize emails. It helps you add context and it also has like a ton of writing tools. So it's essentially going to help you respond in a way that's going to give you the highest likelihood of getting a response back from the person you're emailing. So it'll literally give you feedback on the tone of the email. It'll start giving you feedback based on how the person responds. So that's something that we're going to talk about today that I don't hear talked about a lot is, you know, when someone responds to the email you sent them, based on their tone, you kind of need to mirror how they respond. So, for example, if someone responds, they seem very casual, you're going to want to respond in a little bit more of a casual way. If they're a little more formal, do the same there. If it's longer, you don't want to send a one sentence response back. I'm (laughs) actually guilty of that. So if you've ever thought about any of those sort of things when it comes to email, like you're definitely in the right place here. So make sure to tune into this interview. And before we get to that, I got one quick favor. This podcast, like we're really going to like ramp up the episodes with this and we're going to be running a lot of webinars this year as well. But bottom line is with this podcast, I would love to continue getting on great guests. So if you've been listening for a while and there's thousands of you out there and you really dig it, what I would really appreciate is a quick review on iTunes. So if you're listening to this on your iTunes player or you have an iTunes account, go to blissfulprospecting.com slash iTunes. That'll take you straight to the iTunes page and leave a short, honest review. I would really appreciate it. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. So we were just talking before I hit record about, do you have kind of a diverse background. And I was just looking at LinkedIn, you've done a bunch of different stuff. It looks like you've founded a couple companies. Why the focus on email? Like of all the things that you could focus on <laughs> in marketing, sales and all that stuff, why 
create a tool that helps people send better emails? This kind of gets into like the founding of what we're doing, but my background, you know, recovering consultant would be the the most apt description. And so coming into working in the startup world, you know, having a co-founder with a selling background, he gave some really good, sometimes a little too honest feedback on the way that I wrote emails. Mm-hmm. So we were working on a previous startup together called Sorter, psychology marketing platform. And so when I would send out emails to prospects, he would always have these like very tangential feedback points. And so when we eventually pivoted into Lavender, it's kind of funny because I always thought of it as this is actually a product for me. (laughs) And so I became like our own biggest user in what we did. So thinking about my own background, how we got here is mostly focused around problems that I faced myself. That said, I had a background running email marketing campaigns, Mm -hmm. consulting background. It was marketing strategy and execution. So I spent a lot of time in the email marketing world. So were you thinking, hey, I'm sending a lot of these emails. It'd be kind of nice to have a tool that would help me because I come from both a sales and a marketing background. And I, for a while there, I did do a lot of like that kind of marketing where I'm sending out emails and writing a lot of copy. And it's like really labor intensive, man, you know, to have to like write something and then edit, then proofread, then think about how it's going to be perceived and then check your tonality and like all this other stuff. Was that kind of what spurred you creating the tool was just your own frustrations with it or how long it was taken or what? So, I mean, what actually spurred the tool itself was there was a TechCrunch article where LinkedIn Sales Navigator was shutting down their Gmail Chrome extension. Mm-hmm. And so we were looking at some data connections that we had built out from our previous startup. We had COVID basically tanking our pipeline. And we were like, oh, we could build a replacement. And that would probably build out some cash flow to help the business. And so we were like, okay, we could build a LinkedIn Sales Navigator replacement. Then sticking to what we were doing at the time, a company called Sorter, we were building out some content tools at the time. And so we decided to plug those in on the backside of the platform. Really, like the thought was as a way to market the original Sorter system. And we showed it to a couple of people and they're like, this is a really unique blend of tools. You should focus on this full time. And at the original inception, it was this idea of writing thoughtful and effective emails. The idea being thoughtful, you take the time to do your research on the individual that you're emailing and effective. We look at the content that you're writing and make sure that you know, not only that you're going to be understood, but you're going to be understood the way that you're intended. Gotcha. Okay. So a lot of this, it sounds like too, was just how can we help people write better cold emails as well? So it's just kind of all, all different kinds of emails. Yeah. It was one of those funny realizations getting it started that like, I'm not the best email writer. And now that we've had the company running for a while, the number of like executives that have reached out to us and have been letting us know like, hey, I really like your tool. I actually don't think I write good emails. So it's not just like the SDRs of the world who are trying to write better emails. Everyone's trying to write a better email. How you position that, it's not necessarily about writing better emails. It's about accomplishing some task. But yeah, that's the underlying motivation is people want to be understood. Yeah. No, and I'm I'm glad we're talking today because I I want to talk about kind of all different emails, right? Because I mean a lot of people that listen to this are sending cold emails, but they also send a lot of emails internally. 
you know, within their company and they need stuff from people. They also, you might have clients that you need to like interact with as well. So uh, before we get to that, I'm curious, what do you think is the future of email? Because a lot of people think that email is like this dying tool that won't be around 10 or 20 years from now. It's really funny when you ask people about that kind of stuff, but what do you think is the future of email? What do you think it looks like 10 years from now? As I say, they they weren't saying that a few days ago when Slack went down, but (laughs) I think what we're finding is email is one of these tools that's just resilient. I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it's importance is getting almost like Craigslist in the sense of like it's getting unbundled and companies are coming up and breaking off little pieces of it to do different things like a Slack, right? Like internal communications, you could do it more efficiently another way, but like external communication, like it's still a really good means of going back and forth. Mm -hmm. Like you wouldn't necessarily have a partnership call with a, a channel partner through a LinkedIn chat. It doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense. Whereas email is still just this baseline workhorse within the B2B landscape. That said, it hasn't really seen a advancement since 2004 when Gmail launched. And all of a sudden, you didn't have to delete like every five emails. You had like an unlimited amount of storage. The interesting thing with that is it was built in such a way that it's resilient, but it's really hard to vertically integrate and do anything special with it. And so we've kind of been stuck in limbo with where we're at. And now we've come so far with natural language processing tools and our understanding of behavioral sciences. And this is really at the base of what we're trying to do is take these old protocols and give them a a nice refresh in the 21st century, make them a little bit more intelligent, thinking about here's how people want to use email. Here's like what the workflow is. Here's how we fit into that. And here's how we make people more efficient in the inbox, but also using natural language processing, understanding how you write, how it's going to be perceived and make you a more effective writer as well. Yeah, I think that's the future of email also. I don't think that it's going anywhere as a channel. I just can't see that. I mean, it's asynchronous communication, right? I chat, I guess like a LinkedIn message is technically asynchronous, but it doesn't really feel like that. It feels more like getting a text. Mm -hmm. And then you have instant chat you know, with Slack. And again, I I guess, I don't know, I guess chat is technically asynchronous just because you're not like having a conversation like we are now, but it doesn't feel as much like that. Where like everything I get through a chat feels more urgent than what I get through an email, you know? So it's like, you almost don't even want to have channels where you can communicate, where channels feel urgent with a client. You know what I mean? It's just too much. Yeah, it's funny. Like one of my like things that I think about and how I would guide someone who's new to the B2B world is especially younger generation, they're used to growing up texting and instant messaging where everything is, you've got to respond now. But imagine if you get a note from your boss that just like infuriates you, you should take 24 hours before you reply to that email and get your headset right. And that's something that's no one ever tells you that, yeah. but you kind of learn it through trial and error. There's so many of these things that you learn through trial and error when it comes to email. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully we can shed some light on and save people a few mistakes along the way. No, definitely. Well, uh, before we get into some of the more kind of technical parts of the email, 
Can you tell us a little bit more about like lavender as a tool? Like what is it like actually helping people do? And I know it's using, you know, some AI to help with that too. And it's gathering kind of a yeah. bunch of data points around like what works and what doesn't. It sounds like you have some psychology and stuff baked in there too. Like how is the tool set up? How does it work? And that sort of stuff. Yeah, the tool today, you know, we really see ourselves as, you know, there's plenty of tools out there that help you send more emails. We're focused on sending better emails, albeit faster. And so mm-hmm. there's three main pillars to the Lavender platform that integrates right into your inbox, soon to be wherever you're sending email. But that's efficiency. So like these productivity tools, things like instant email verification, a mobile preview right in the inbox. One of the things that we found where a lot of reps were like sending emails to themselves and then looking at it over and over and then continuing to resend it to themselves to make sure it was pixel perfect. So we just put a mobile preview in the inbox. The other thing would be prospect research. So don't spend a bunch of time going to someone's LinkedIn page. Say you get an inbound message, you can quickly pull up who they are without having to deep dive into a LinkedIn rabbit hole where LinkedIn's only goal is to get you to continue to scroll. It's not to make you more productive in your inbox. So that's like the prospect research. You know, we also have like company data, tech stack data, you know, how many people are in the company, those kinds of things. And we use some various data partners to fill that in. Then the writing tools, which are like kind of our bread and butter. It's the thing that people know us for is, you know, we score emails based on their likelihood of getting a response. And even more recently, we're actually creating dynamic recommendations based off of the email that you received. So say someone writes a short informal note, you know, the right response is not a long formal email. You should probably try to mirror them or say that they reply to you in a angry tone. We'll make a recommendation of, yeah, hey, you should probably diffuse this with some happier tones, those kinds of things. So that's really the the bread and butter of the platform. Interesting. So how does that, is the tool accumulating more data and getting smarter, like the more that people use it and the more data, you know, that kind of goes through the tool? Yeah. So the way we actually collect data and do what we do, I can't get into like too many specifics, but like we're not storing what you write. That That was like a big key for us is not infringing on the end user's privacy. That said, we'll eventually build out like CRM integrations and kind of like what Gong is doing for you know, phone calls. We'll be there in your inbox providing a similar level of content intelligence. The original models, what we built them off of was the idea of what are things that we can get public access to that are based around getting a positive response. And so there's a ton of you know, publicly available data sets and like social media chats, chat rooms, those kinds of things where people are asking questions, really trying to drive engagement and response rate. And so that was the basis of like the original models behind how we figured out how to drive response rates. And it's uh, been fairly successful. We've had quite a few folks reaching out to us about like doubling demo rates and getting more opens and replies and stuff. So. No, that's super cool, man. Well, let's get into like emails. Where should we start, dude? I have a bunch of scenarios and stuff (laughs) that I can ask you about, but where should we get started when it comes to email etiquette? 
I think the thing is like, you know, we can't sit here all day and just like pontificate on like situation A versus B. So maybe like some good principles for folks to apply. Yeah, that'd be great. And yeah, starting for principles. I think of like the golden rule is like the number one place to start, which is like mm-hmm. when you're sending an email, think about how you would receive that email. Would you want somebody to write an email and send it to you that looked exactly like what you just wrote? Yeah, you kind of have to put yourself in the other person's shoes and think that way. The way we refer to that at Lavender is being considerate. And that's at the hierarchy of our four C's of better email writing. And it's being considerate of the other person, whether that's like the time that you're sending the email, the tone that you're taking with them. And did you take the time to do your research on the person that you're reaching out to? Those kinds of things. The other C's that I would add as principles for better email writing would be correctness. So don't send emails with grammatical errors. That's like an obvious one. Be concise and be clear. So make a clear ask. Don't waste their time. And they'll kind of roll up into being considerate. But yeah, those are some core principles that I think you'd easily apply to any email. If you thought through all four of those C's, you'd probably come out okay. So where are people like in the considerate bucket? Where do you feel like people are missing the mark? Personalization versus relevance. I think personalization is a really easy place to go wrong. (laughs) To you though, between personalization and relevance, because this is like such a, I feel like it's semantics at this point with like, what's what, but I'm curious, what's what's the difference between the two? I have trouble understanding. Yeah, personalization is... I saw you went to the University of North Carolina and go Tar Heels at the end of an email. How are you thinking about the end user, what they're trying to accomplish and how what you do gets them to that end goal? That's relevance. Um, One of the, the key things I think about with like email is what's the point of an email? Modern email is about getting something done. It's not a chit chat. It's not like a letter correspondence. You're not like, mm-hmm. if you want to talk to me, either pick up the phone or like shoot me a text. But if you're emailing me, it's likely around like a particular task item and we're probably trying to get something done. So, yeah, I think of the personalization element as like you're not necessarily adding value to the conversation as opposed to being relevant, it's like solving a problem, which is much more important. Yeah. So with the personalization piece, how does this apply or the relevance piece? I look at the way that I look at it is I think relevance is a part of personalization. So it's like, I think the personalization needs to be relevant, specific, and like, you know, repeatable for you. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I can go on and on about the semantics between those two words. It's like a hot debate in our industry. So how does that apply to stuff that's like not a cold email? Do you have to have relevance in that email if you're emailing a client and you need something or you're emailing a coworker or a boss or a boss's boss, you know, with an ask, how does the relevance piece fit into that or does it? I think relevance in that perspective is about getting something done. So focusing on the task at hand, I think we can get overly chummy sometimes and there's nothing wrong with making friends with clients and people at work. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying, like, don't forget the point of the email is, yeah, you want something and you need to get it done. It could be that you're sending a, a more informal note of like, 
hey, say you're a Baltimore Ravens fan and I'm like sending you a sports article about it to like improve the rapport that we have as client and customer, customer seller kind of thing. But mm. there's still a point to that email. And I think like the relevance is, I guess you're right. It's kind of tied to personalization in that sense. But, you know, it comes back to an endpoint of bettering the relationship. So what I'm hearing is, like really thinking about what the purpose of your email is. Like, what do you want this other person to do? We we're kind of talking about this offline because I get a lot of emails from people like they want help, but they don't really talk specifically about like what they want help. They don't make it easy to actually like help them. Sometimes it's hard for me to figure out like what exactly it is that they want. So what I'm hearing, like with the consideration, it sounds like a big part of that is like, yeah. Hey, if you got an email from someone and there was some sort of ask in there, you would probably want to be able to like give them what they want in that response without there having to be a back and forth. Yeah, I love this idea of making it easy on someone makes a ton of sense. That can't be iterated enough, particularly if you want something out of someone, make it as easy as possible for them to do it for you. There's an old rule I used to have when folks would ask me questions and I'd be like, have you Googled this first? Because if you haven't Googled it, I'm going to be kind of annoyed when I Google it yeah. and I find it in two seconds, you know? So yeah, making it easy on someone, that applies to everything from like getting a warm intro. There's like a clean process that you can go through. If like you want, if I wanted you, Jason, to introduce me to Kyle Porter, the CEO at SalesLoft, there's a particular step-by-step process that I want to go through to make that as easy as possible for you. If I need to onboard you as a potential customer or like send over some process documents for you. Like there's ways that you can make that as easy as possible for the other person. I get a bunch of responses about what we do. We're like, what if I have to send like an onboarding email or it's like a really long email? Yeah. How are you guys going to score that differently based on the context of that email? And I'm like, well, think about what we're scoring. We're scoring how complex the language is. We're not necessarily dinging you as hard as you think we are for the length of that email. So like what you should focus on is making it really clear at the front of the email, exactly what you need, what you're trying to accomplish and like list those things out so that they can then go through the rest of the email with a clear understanding. Because when you write an email that way, you set their expectations and you also set them up to come back to it later if they read it on their phone. So One of the things that we should definitely talk about is how people actually behave with email. If I send you an email, you're eight times more likely to read it from your phone than you are from your desktop computer. And so if I'm trying to send you a long onboarding email, I should send in the top part, put the bottom line on top, which is a phrase that's actually derived from the fact that there's obviously the bottom line of it. But it's also, you think about how we were taught in school to write, which is like, you have this fluffy intro and it finally comes down to a thesis. Email is basically the inverse of that, where it's like the main point should be at the front end. And that's when you explain out from that main point. When you say eight times more likely on mobile, how does that amount to, I'm a bad case for this because I don't read any email on mobile. Yeah, I did. I just, I can't have the email apps on my phone, dude. I'll look at it too much. Last time I checked this, it was like something like 60, 40 or something like that. I can't remember. You know, 60% mobile, 40% desktop. I want to give people just some perspective. Like when you send a cold email, if you send eight cold emails, how many of those emails 
the opens on those emails is probably going to be on a mobile device versus a desktop. Yeah, and this is where open tracking gets a little difficult. And that's why I actually like the source of where I got this fact from, which is an email client called Superhuman. What they were looking at is the initial open of an email. So if you're looking at your open tracking data, you'll see that there's the initial email open on a phone, and then they take it to their desktop. And that's where they go to reply, because you're three times more likely to send an email from your desktop computer. There's this gap between the mobile phone and the desktop that you have to bridge where they're going to have a ton of different distractions and a ton of different things along the way. And so it's like, you have to write in the simplest way possible. So that's no buzzwords. That's honestly no complex sentence structures. Like you want to keep it Mm -hmm. stupid, simple and focus on really making a message that's memorable so that when they come back to their inbox later, they're going to remember that they opened it because now when they open their desktop computer, it's going to be marked as open and they're going to still reply to it. Yeah. Another way that you can do this, particularly if it's about internal processes, say you're emailing something internal and there's a deadline. If you're an SDR and you're coming into sales, you learn all these tricks and tools around like shortening your email or shortening your subject line, making it like all these different things that are optimized for opens. But no one ever says like, hey, if there's a due date of Friday on something internal in your email, that should be the first thing on the subject line. Because the point of a subject line is to explain what's needed out of that email. So it's like, if the RFP proposal is due Friday, it should say due Friday, colon, RFP proposal. That's one of the easiest ways to make sure that like when they see it on their phone, they can quickly grasp like RFP proposals due Friday. Okay, I can remember that and come back to my computer later and then respond to it. Yeah, that's a little trick I use a lot too. I use it just a parenthesis at the beginning, you know, action needed or due by whatever date, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. You mentioned intros. What's your process for intros? Like how to introduce people? Yeah. So... Jason, say you want an intro to, we'll use Kyle Porter just because that's the example I brought up earlier. The way that I would expect you to set that introduction would be first the double opt-in. So you would shoot a note to me and you would say, hey, well, saw you're connected to Kyle. Wasn't sure how close that connection was, but I would love an introduction to talk to him. Do you think you'd be open to him? Here's why I'd want to talk. And then you'd explain briefly, two, three sentences max, why you'd want to talk to them. What that sets up is the auto forward. So then I can see that email. I immediately forward it to Kyle or whatever C-suite that you're trying to get in touch with. And I said, hey, my buddy Jason was looking to have a conversation. Is this of interest to you? And then they can say yes. And then I would then CC that person into the email. And then I would expect you and your response to say, thanks, Will, for making the connection. I'm going to BCC you out. So it's like this complex dance of using the CC and then the BCC versus like the two. But like all those intricate little puzzle pieces like set you up for maintaining the relationship that you have with the person that you're asking for the introduction. You don't put the person who's asking for the introduction in an awkward spot with the person they're introducing you to. So like the introducer also has a role to play and that they don't like just 
opt in the third party into this conversation. And then you as the introduced person, as like, I don't know what the word is for that. You've also got to make sure you manage like who's in the two line, who's in the BCC line, because yeah, you don't necessarily want to, okay, now I've made the intro. I don't necessarily need you guys scheduling in my thread. Yeah. Dude, there's so much there that just like, it drives me crazy because I get introduced to people and I don't ask for the intro. I never got an opportunity to say no. And then I feel like an asshole because I have to tell the person that it's not a good fit to have them oh, on yeah. podcast or to just to meet with them or, or whatever it might be. So yeah, double opt-in, extremely important. You know, if you're a rep and you're listening to this, this is really important skill, especially if you want to get into a leadership position. <laughs> you really need to kind of understand like how this stuff works, especially in the, at the leadership level when you're introducing external people, you know, to a coworker or whatever it might be, like getting a double opt-in. The BCC, I, I think is important too. I do that. You know, hey, I'm Put you in BCC so I don't blow up your inbox is what I always say. <laughs> exactly. It's easy. Nice to meet you. And then you go from there. Yeah. Well, I think the other piece that you mentioned, and just like, I don't want to blow your inbox. The other thing that I would say to it is I'll keep you updated outside this thread because I want them to feel like there's some level of skin in the game. And I do make sure that I follow up and I say like, here's how the conversation went. Because that also like builds that investment in the fact that they made that introduction for you. And it also makes it much more likely that they make an introduction for you in the future. Yeah. Another really important element, because the last thing that someone, especially that's well-networked, wants to do is like bring someone into their network that's going to be an asshole and like really yep. use like the introductions. So that's a big part, man. Okay. So let's talk about this concise pillar. How do you think about how concise an email needs to be? few different pieces to this. When we first got started out, my co-founder, Will, he quoted Thomas Jefferson to me. He's like, I don't know why you use two words when one would suffice. I'm like, huh. All right. So I need to just like cut language. Right. And the idea is like, back to these founding father quotes, like I would have written a shorter note had I had more time. You've got to sit there and like be meticulous and like cutting down the amount of words that you use because you only have so much screen space and so much time that you're going to be able to squeeze out of their day. Back to like being considerate, I recognize that my email is going to be an incursion on whatever they are doing. You know, sales is one giant interruption, right? If I'm going to interrupt you, I'm going to make it short and sweet to the point. We kind of forget this when we get into these longer emails where it's like, oh, well, I need to include more detail because we're talking about like the process in which we're doing something or something like that. And it's great. You should be complete in what you say, but also be methodical and cutting down on the total number of words that you're using. You know, make sure you are complete with no fluff. Yeah. Because the part of being concise, I think, is it's like these filler words, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you need to respond to someone in kind of a warm, fuzzy way because they're a little angry, like how do you balance like the niceties? in the email, you know, cause you can cut something down so far that there's like no emotion, mm -hmm. you know, also, and I don't know, maybe let us know too, like how Lavender kind of, you know, makes suggestions in this area too. But that's something that I personally struggle with is like, how can I make sure to have empathy and like that sort of stuff in here, but you have to do that in a way where it's not going to take up a bunch of space. Well, I think we mistake being uncertain using adverbs that you know, lack certainty, using words like just to 
justify your position. The real way to backtrack if somebody's angry with you is to empathize with how they're feeling. I understand that you're feeling this way because of the following things. You can still speak in certain terms, certain not meaning like particular, certain meaning like I am certain, and still be empathetic. You're not going to be cold by saying like, I understand you're feeling these ways because of the following situations. It's I'm letting that other person know that they were heard. Yeah, this is kind of back to just managing a tough conversation. You can quickly diffuse someone who's angry by letting them know that they're heard, asking further questions so that they feel even more heard. And one of the things that we fail to do in our emails is ask questions. So we just put it into the scoring algorithm out of the get-go because we saw if you wanted to get a response, you should ask a question. But asking a question is one of those things that not only keeps the conversation going, it makes you more empathetic. It makes you drive a better conversation. There's just a lot of things about asking questions that we don't do enough of. Yeah, I always, especially cold emails, I always just cringe when I see a cold email with no call to action. Like, dude. Yeah, I'm like, wow, you could have saved that for marketing to send out because it didn't actually require me to respond. I just got some information and now I'm on my way. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on, there's a couple of things I want to just kind of go through that are kind of quick. Gifts and emojis and trying to be, maybe have a little bit of humor. What are your thoughts on that? So on one level, it's you got to mind your audience, right? Are you in financial services or healthcare where it's a much more formal setting? The other thing would be look at how that person's writing to you. Go from there. I don't think using emojis or using gifts are inherently bad things. I mean, our software literally puts gifts into emails and measures the emotion of it. So like, I'm naturally pro gif. I like getting gifts. I think it's a modern way to consume content. And so we're bringing that to email in an easier way. But is it always the most appropriate thing to do? No. One of the things that we've been talking about building in is like getting a sense of industry, getting a sense of persona and like providing that recommendation around things like using a gif, things like formality, because back to my point earlier, say someone responds back to your cold email and they say, Jason, colon, I appreciate this thoughtful email. And then they go into like some long-winded email about their position and blah, blah, blah. And then they sign off with sincerely John Asbury or whatever the full name is. And responding back with a gif, you're going to look like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and some of that's common sense, but some of that is you might think to yourself like, oh, I might as well try like throwing it in there. It's one of those things like if you have doubt, it probably isn't the best move because back to the four C's, you're thinking about the other person, how they would receive it. And you're like, well, based on how they just emailed me, probably not how they like to use email. Yeah. So it sort of like goes back to the core principles. But yeah, if somebody shoots me a, a quick email, like as if they're rattling up a text, in my mind, that's checked at least a yellow light to like think about like, okay, I can probably send that person a gif or mm. you know, start using emojis in conversation to lighten the mood. Gotcha. But if I can, I strive to, I, I think they're good things. Yeah. What about the sort of opening of an email? Is it the salutation? Is that what it's called? The high will part of the email and then signing off on an email? Yeah. What are the do's and don'ts there? 
I've heard a few different opinions on this. Like I know Beck Holland thinks using hey is informal. I personally use hey on every single email. <laughs> so I heard her say that and I was like, Me too. well, I'm very informal. <laughs> but that said, when it comes to cold email, one of the things that I do is I actually don't use a hey. I don't use a hi. I don't use any of that because I want to maximize the amount of preview text that I can get in the top line. But once that person's responded, they give me the cue of how I can then address them with the formality that they use. So like if they're more informal, then yeah, I'll sort of mirror that. If they're more formal, I might stick to a more formal thing. So like, and one of the big things is like, okay, at what point can I stop saying, hey, Jason, at the front of my email? Part of that is like timing. So like if there's been a day between like the email, like just like if I walked up to you a day later, I would start the conversation with, hey, Jason, we were talking about this yesterday. Yeah. Um, whereas like if it's the same hour and like the same thread where you guys are going back and forth, yeah, it might make sense to drop the, hey, Jason. But if they're continuing to keep it up, I would recommend that you do the same, right? It's like what we call you know, mirroring. You know, mirroring is simple things like taking the cues of they keep the email structure throughout the thread or things like they're more formal, they're happy, they're angry, and using those to craft a more thoughtful response. They send you a super long email. You better not send something that's under 50 words because you're going to come across as Kurt. Yeah. To put it kindly. That's always one I struggle with. <laughs> <laughs> so you basically, you just put Will, comma, at the top of the email. Yeah. For like a cold email, I don't know where they're at. Sometimes I throw in hey. I haven't really noticed like personally any big differences as far as conversion rates. I've read some reports where putting a note of gratitude at the end of an email before you say like your name at the bottom using thanks or thank you is more effective than regards or best or yeah. cheers, which if you're not British. I wonder how many isolated tests though that people have done with cold emails where all they changed between two cold emails was like, hey, hi, and then yeah. just Jason, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I wonder how, like, I know people have a lot of opinions on that, but I wonder if anyone's actually really tested that. Yeah, it's one of those things that I definitely want to get to the bottom of because yeah. I've never greeted somebody in real life saying hi. I've always said, hey. <laughs> so like I yeah. I naturally just brought that into how I write email. But mm. yeah, that, that kind of comes back to like this email etiquette of you know, how people do this. And it's much more trial and error. So like nobody ever slapped me on the wrist for saying, hey. Yeah. So sign offs on emails, it sounds like stick with some sort of gratitude type of sign off, a thanks or a thank you or. Yeah, I mean, I either say thank you or the other way that I think about it, like thanks is an easy default, right? Um, the other way I think about it is like, does it make sense in like the thread of the conversation? A lot of folks write, this is particularly true with like cold email where like the logic doesn't flow from top to bottom really smoothly. Yeah. Um, we kind of like piecemeal these like weird paragraphs together. The signature is a part of that. And so like if I'm asking to spend time and talk with you, I will finish the email with talk soon, Will, because that makes logical sense as to how to sign off an email if I'm talking about talking to you soon. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. 
What about if we kind of segue into when people respond to emails? Let's say, because this is an under-talked about topic, I feel. Yeah, yeah. So a prospect responds and says, oh, hey, yeah, let's meet. What's your take on how best to respond to make it as easy as possible for them to schedule a meeting? Yeah. So yeah, back to my point about like modern emails about getting something done, right? And so we've come into this world now where we have the technology tools where you can send someone a calendar link and like easily get that scheduled. There's a world of people who don't like the calendar link. And I think there's a sea of people who are very much so on the pro calendar link. Like it's the most efficient way. I'm giving you access to my encounter calendar. Like how is that not thoughtful? I think there's a happy medium in between of like, I can take some time to like ask if you would like to use a calendar link or if you have one yourself, but you, know, you don't necessarily like pigeonhole them into like, I've, you've got to use my calendar tool. And yeah, you can either propose a couple of times and then suggest using a calendar app or you can ask if they have a calendar app. If not, like you're happy to send your link, you know, those kinds of things. I don't think folks always necessarily think through. Actually, on the point of calendar links, I don't know how you feel about this, but people put calendar links in their signature line. Yeah. And I think it is the weirdest thing on the planet and nothing screams in my head, sales spam faster than seeing the calendar link in an email that shows up. Because like you think about the other person on the other end, like the executive that you're reaching out to to sell your software to, they are trying to triage their inbox on a daily basis. And so they're looking for a reason to like sort through and be like, oh, this is trash versus this is something I have to do and it's priority. And so the calendar link at the bottom to me is one of those like triggers immediately where I'm like, oh, it's a sales pitch. It's not necessarily it's a bad thing that it's a sales pitch. I might read it. I might go through the first paragraph and be like, no, nah, I'm not going to listen to this. But yeah, it puts you on a worse footing in my mind. It's also kind of presumptive to throw a calendar link in there. But what are your thoughts on calendar links? I love calendar links. For scheduling, Exec Vision did a big study on this. And like when we were sending... This was mostly 2018 and 2019 when we were first getting going. We would send cold email campaigns on behalf of our clients. Mm -hmm. So we'd schedule the meetings for them. We'd respond to the emails and we ran a test too. what works better. You know, like what do people actually do? Do they schedule through the link? Do they schedule with a suggested time or do they suggest times? And it was almost exactly what that exec vision studies found is like a third or third or third. It wasn't like a clear winner. So I use all three. Mm-hmm. So if someone says, hey, yeah, let's meet, I'll say, hey, awesome, Will. Do any of the times below work for you? And then parentheses, I'll put, and feel free to use my link to find a time here or suggest days and times that work for you. And then I'll bullet point out like three times. And Calendly has, I think Outlook or Outreach has it too, where you can like embed like bullet point times into the, that are hyperlinked. Yeah. I find that giving all three options when you respond like has the highest conversion rate usually into a meeting. But as to what the person does, it's usually like a third, a third, a third across the board over like how they end up scheduling. But I find that giving them the options kind of shows a little bit like, hey, I did a little bit of work for you here. But -hmm. some people don't like the back and forth of like having to email you a time and then getting an invite. So I think the point is that you don't know what people prefer. I give them all the options so they can quickly decide. And you don't alienate someone that's turned off by calendar links. Exactly. By just throwing in a link. 
Because I do think that's fucking lazy, <laughs> you know, exactly. just to throw a yeah. calendar link and like you reached out to me. Now I have to do all the work to find a time, but I'm much more likely to use it if there's some reciprocity. And I can see that you put you're putting a little bit of effort into meeting, too. Then I'm much more inclined to use your calendar link. Yeah, it's kind of funny because like on the inverse, like if somebody reaches out to me, I kind of think of the kind, thoughtful thing to do is just like respond back with a calendar link and be like, here, just find some time on my calendar. Yeah. Or the other piece to that is you send someone the calendar link and you say, find some time within this range. If I say find some time within this range, don't go outside the range. I'm asking for a specific time range for a reason. <laughs> yeah. I've got other things going on in my life. I don't want to meet with you before I said the time range. I appreciate your urgency, but it's not my urgency. That's one of the weird things that I don't think people quite realize. Like, oh, sweet. I have access to your calendar. I'm going to go grab the time this afternoon. And I was like, what is this? And that's when you're on the receiving end of a cold email, right? Yeah. I think there's this like complete lack of like courtesy and empathy for the people you're reaching out to where, dude, most of these people you want to get a meeting with are busy executives. So they really value their time and what goes on their calendar. Like they're maniacs when it comes to like how they spend their time. Yep. So as soon as you abuse that, you ruin any opportunity, even if you're able to get a meeting and they accept it. Dude, they're already going to come into that meeting and just be like, dude, okay, this person, they better get to why this was so important pretty quick. Yeah. And they don't even give you the benefit of the doubt because they're already coming in loaded with like all of this like frustration. So that's interesting. Yeah. You're going to fight an uphill battle that way. Yeah. No, absolutely, man. We got to make this one quick. We're almost out of time. Is there any other principles or anything else that we should take in consideration when we're responding to a response? to an email responding to a response yeah so we send an email to someone they're like oh hey yeah let's meet or hey I, let's do this or hey i have a question about this kind of thing any other guidelines that we should take in consideration when responding after someone responds to our email let's see we touched on making sure you're in the right headspace then you know we touched on making sure you're asking good questions i think the other piece is okay, maybe you shot me a note about like, what's the process for our kickoff meeting? And maybe it's like super complex. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with an example here on the fly. I think we have an inclination to not want to get on the phone. And mm -hmm. I think we talked about this in our initial conversation. There's like stage fright when it comes to the phone. And yeah. like if somebody sends me an email or even a Slack message where like it probably be faster for me to just pick up the phone, talk to that person and like yeah. clarify the details. Don't be afraid to do that. Email's not necessarily going to be fantastic for those things because what you're going to end up having to do is put a ton of information into an email and then it's never going to get replied to because somebody's going to see it on their phone and be like, oh, it's a lot. I'm going to come back to that never. <laughs> and they're going to put their phone away. It's going to slip through the cracks. Yeah, I'm guilty of that. Like I was having a back and forth with a, a group and I sent like an update email and it was like way too long. I sent it. And as soon as I hit send, I was like, what have I done? I should never sent that email. <laughs> and, Plus you're the lavender guy, you know? Yeah, I know. We all, we all make mistakes, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like I've sent cold emails before too, where the merge tag didn't populate properly on the first name. So it said, hey, like merge tag first name. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. I actually did end up getting a meeting out of it. I don't know. It's just funny. Yeah. Hey, we're we're out of time, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before you take off, though, 
I love what you're doing at Lavender. I think it's a great tool. Where can people go and check it out and you know try it out and see if it'll help them with their emails, which I know it will. Where can people you know check your stuff out, man? That'd be trylavender.com. And we actually have, first, you can get started for free on a two-week free trial of our unlimited platform. So you can see all the bells and whistles. You can also test out some of the writing tools on the site itself. So we have like a sort of sandbox email inbox where you can play around and write some email and see how the software works. Plus it's nine bucks a month. So don't be cheap. Okay. (laughs) If you like the tool, it's a hell of a deal. (laughs) Yeah. Go check it out. (laughs) Appreciate you coming on, man. Awesome. Hey, I appreciate it, Jason. That was a fun one. One of my big takeaways was how we talked about, you know, kind of scheduling people, whether we should use a scheduling link if and when that's appropriate, and then also introductions. So Will was really good in that area around introductions. A lot of really great advice there. So before you take off, just wanted to let you know, if you check out our website, there's a really cool guide on there called the reply method. And if you've been following for a little while, you might've checked it out already, but if you haven't, it'll essentially help you with this problem that a lot of sales teams and sales reps share with me in that like, how do I write this email? What's the structure of it? What is the most efficient way? How do I do personalization at scale? Is that possible? What does it look like? There's a guide in there that you can check out. Just go to blissfulprospecting.com. It's linked up on our website. And in the show notes page too, if you open it up on the podcast player, it should be linked right there too to the reply method. So make sure to check that out. And thanks for tuning in today. We'll talk to you soon.